he is not welcome here. He should not come here while we are in mourning. President of the United States, not welcome in an American city. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR. New Orleans, WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. In Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, just to name a few, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around affable fellow says me from bradblog.com thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the bradcast so donald trump of course uh, wants to make america great again and i'm not sure what that actually means most people seem to think it means make america white again or at least restore the power structure roll back the clock So that uh, white men who, uh, by the way, no matter the whining from some white men, still own the power structure in this country so that, you know, white men are in control of things again. Seemingly, that's what he means. But in any event, I don't know if there was a time in Trump's previously imagined great America when foreign countries were warning their own citizens about the dangers of simply traveling to the United States of America. Well, that has changed today, and it seems anything but great to me, but what do I know? Uruguay and Venezuela, Venezuela are now warning their citizens to be on guard for hate crimes when traveling to the U.S. in the wake of shootings in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio, that left 31 people dead. Uruguay's foreign ministry released an official alert to citizens on Monday, which reads, as translated from the Spanish, quote, the Ministry of Foreign Relations warns citizens traveling to the United States to exercise caution amid growing violence, largely hate crimes of racism and discrimination that have taken over 250 lives in the first six months of this year. 
That's the foreign ministry of Uruguay warning their own citizenry about the dangers of the U.S. The foreign ministry says that given the, quote, impossibility of the American authorities to, quote, prevent these situations and the, quote, indiscriminate possession of guns in the U.S., Uruguayans are advised to avoid crowded places, especially if they have children with them. Is that America great again? Right there? Great enough for you? Yeah. Uh, hi, Desi Doyen. Hello. The government of Venezuela. Venezuela also warned its citizens on Monday to be, quote, extra careful when traveling to the U.S., quote, given the recent proliferation of violent acts and hate crimes. American law enforcement is investigating the El Paso shooting as domestic terrorism and a hate crime after authorities found a racist manifesto warning about an Hispanic invasion that they believe may have been written by the El Paso shooter. We have uh, late word today as well that the shooting in Gilroy, California, a week ago, yeah, I know, that was, yeah, just about a week ago, that that is also now being investigated as domestic terrorism. Get to that in a moment. And it's not just Uruguay and Venezuela. Mexico's foreign minister is threatening to take legal action against the U.S. over the shooting, which took the lives of seven Mexican citizens in El Paso. Mexico has promised to explore pursuing terrorism charges in the U.S. legal system over the shooting in El Paso. According to U.K.'s Guardian, the Mexican foreign minister, Marcelo uh, Ebrard, also said on Sunday that Mexicans would uh, the Mexico would try to take legal action against the person or firm who sold the assault weapon used in Saturday's killings. The country will also pursue the possibility of extraditing the suspect to Mexico. We consider this an act of terrorism against the Mexican-American community and Mexican nationals in the U.S., Abrard told reporters. Mexico is outraged, but we aren't proposing to meet hate with hate. We will act with reason and according to the law and with firmness. Well, imagine if seven Americans were killed in a foreign country. I suppose we would also be taking some sort of similar action uh, at this point. The spate of weekend shootings in the U.S. has caused indignation in Mexico, reportedly, parts of which the U.S. government warns citizens to avoid due to drug cartel violence. So Mexico is telling its citizens to be very careful here. We're telling our citizens to avoid certain parts of the country because of the uh, drug cartels in Mexico. Martha Barcena, Mexico's ambassador in Washington, uh, tweeted the intentionality of the attack against the Mexicans and the Latino community in El Paso is frightening. No to hate speech. She wrote no to xenophobic discourse. The administration of Mexico's president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, commonly called AMLO, by the way, uh, has pushed for action on the flow of U.S. guns into Mexico, which inevitably end up in the hands of cartel thugs. But AMLO has uh, preferred not to provoke Trump, even as Trump has badmouthed Mexico ahead of his re-election campaign and threatened Mexico, as you know, with tariffs if migration through Mexico is not stopped. 
AMLO told an audience on Sunday, we don't want to interfere in the affairs of other countries. We're going to continue sticking to the principles of non-intervention. Hugs, not bullets. That's our posture, Obrador said, uh, repeating a campaign slogan from his successful 2018 presidential campaign. Well, hugs and uh, maybe terrorism lawsuits in any event coming from Mexico. As America uh, continues its spiral into world disgrace, I'm sorry, I mean into making America great again, El Paso Mayor D. Margo announced on Monday evening that Donald Trump, the President of the United States, will come visit the city on Wednesday following the deadly shooting, which is being investigated as a hate crime against Latinos. Congresswoman Veronica Escobar, however, who represents El Paso, does not think that is such a good idea. She told the hosts of Morning Joe on Monday that Trump was, quote, not welcome in the city of El Paso, which she says is in mourning. It is shocking to me that he is so utterly self-aware. And this is why, from my perspective, he is not welcome here. He should not come here while we are in mourning. This is one of the sites of one of his rallies. I heard Mika um, uh, earlier mention that violence increased. Statistically, violence went up, uh, hate crimes went up in communities where he had held rallies. He came into one of the safest communities in the nation. And as a result, or maybe not as a result, that is probably unfair. But months later, a gunman came into our community. Someone from outside of this community came into this beautiful, tranquil, loving place to do us harm. I would encourage the president's staff members to have him do a little self-reflection. I would encourage them to show him his own words and his actions at the rallies because we're not going to get past this until there is acknowledgement from the very top that we need to heal, that this whole country is hurting, that there has been bigotry and racism and hatred that has been stoked at all levels. And as the president, he has the most significant authority and responsibility mm -hmm. to show this country, to lead this country into healing. And now is the time, and he needs to accept responsibility, everyone does, for what has gotten us to this point. Congresswoman Veronica Escobar speaking on MSNBC. She represents uh, the West Texas town of El Paso. Yes. Uh, the city's former congressman, Beto O'Rourke, who is now a 2020 presidential candidate, he tweeted on Monday that Trump has, quote, no place in El Paso after he, quote, helped create the hatred that made Saturday's tragedy possible. He later spoke to reporters, and his frustration and anger was obvious as uh, he starts off in this clip by railing against Trump's Muslim ban and his blockade on and appalling detention of immigrants who come to our country seeking asylum and making a comparison that I suspect Donald Trump and his supporters will not like, uh, no matter how accurate it actually may be. And the president has not been shy. He's not been saying this behind closed doors. This is out in the open. You know, all people of one religion, 
inherently defective and should be banned from the shores of this country. The only modern Western democracy that I can think of that said anything close to this is the Third Reich, uh, Nazi Germany. Um, talking about human beings as though they are animals, making them subhuman to make it okay to put their kids in cages. We, we've lost seven children in our custody just over the last year in this, the wealthiest, the most powerful country on the face of the planet, saying that he wants more immigrants like those from Nordic countries, the whitest places on the face uh, of the planet. Um, this president, his, his open racism is also an invitation to violence. We've seen a rise in hate crimes every single one of the last three years. So, Joe, you're, you're absolutely right. The writing has been on the wall since his maiden speech coming down that escalator describing That's Mexican right. immigrants as rapists and criminals. Uh, the, the actions that follow cannot surprise us. And, and anyone who is surprised um, is, is part of this problem right now, including members of the media who ask, hey, Beto, do you think the president is racist? Well, Jesus Christ, of course he's racist. He's been racist from day one before day one when he was questioning whether Barack Correct. Obama was born in the United States. He's trafficked in this stuff from, from the very beginning. And, and we are reaping right now what he has sown and what his supporters in Congress have sown. We have to put a stop to it. That's former Congressman Beto O'Rourke, who uh, previously represented uh, El Paso until Veronica Escobar uh, took over after Beto dropped out to run against Ted Cruz uh, for the uh, Senate in Texas. He's now running for president, though I wish he was running against uh, John uh, Cornyn, Cornyn yes. in uh, Texas. That would be useful, Mr. O'Rourke. In any event, he went on and uh, he made additional comments throughout the day that are not really well that we can't play on the air. Right, not without he was, heavily redacting them or bleeping them. He was not very happy, at the very least. Uh, so to have the uh, the current and former Congress members uh, representing El Paso essentially saying Donald Trump is not welcome here because he is a racist is kind of amazing. As to the mayor of El Paso, D. Margo, well, the mayor's position in uh, in this border town is a nonpartisan position. But Margo is actually a Republican though one who has found himself in a very difficult position before the shooting when it comes to Donald Trump. You may recall earlier this year in Donald Trump's State of the Union address in February, which was delayed for a week or so due to the uh, record-long government shutdown where Trump forced this shutdown in order to try and get border wall funding. That was this year. I know that was when I know when I found that out as I was researching today, I was like, oh, my God, that was just February of this year where he made these comments after this after the shutdown, uh, which happened because of the refusal of Congress to be willing to fund his border wall. Trump would then go on to declare a fake emergency and steal the money. To build it anyway. But in any event, at that State of the Union in February of this year, Trump told a huge lie about El Paso in support of his demand for border wall funding. When he said the border city of El Paso, Texas, used to have extremely high rates of violent crime, one of the highest in the country and considered one of our nation's most dangerous cities. Now, with a powerful barrier in place, said Trump, El Paso is one of our safest cities. Simply put, walls work and walls save lives. Now, the thing is, it was a complete lie, a complete lie uh, told to a joint session of Congress 
about a great American city, El Paso. Records, in fact, show no indication that El Paso's violent crime rate, which was already well below the national average for a city of its size, no evidence whatsoever that it was affected in any way by the barrier that was built in El Paso. That led the uh, local county sheriff at the time to issue a statement disputing Donald Trump's false claim. Sheriff Richard Wiles, directly after the speech, quote, it is sad to hear President Trump state falsehoods about El Paso, Texas, in an attempt to justify the building of a 2,000-mile wall. The facts are clear. While it is true that El Paso is one of the safest cities in the nation, it has never been considered one of the nation's most dangerous cities. And El Paso was a safe city long before a wall was built. He finishes by saying, President Trump continues to give a false narrative about what a great city that truly represents what this great nation is all about. The facts and statistics on this are clear. Crime was falling in the years before the wall went up in this part of Texas in El Paso in 2008. What you hear there from the sheriff of El Paso County has been echoed by sheriffs all across Texas. We met with the sheriff of Hidalgo County last week. He said the president's one of the president's biggest problems is when he visits down here, he is not meeting with sheriffs on the counties, those 31 counties in southern Texas that border Mexico. The sheriff said when he came down here for his meeting in McAllen, he simply did not speak to any of them. So that's a president who, by the way, pretends to love law enforcement and love his uh, sheriffs, unless they are sheriffs in locations where he knows that they don't really want to see him, that they're not going to agree with him, that they don't want a wall or whatever it is. So that that's sort of the, uh, the, the history of just this year with Donald Trump and El Paso. And in response to all of that, uh, Margo was sort of put Mayor Margo was sort of put in a, into a difficult position. He said that the communities of El Paso and Ciudad Juarez in Mexico, which is uh, linked by the uh, the bridge, the Paso del Norte International Bridge, that those two communities are part of, quote, one region, one culture in El Paso. He said there is no crisis. This was when Donald Trump was claiming it's a crisis on the border. He says, you look south and you can't tell where El Paso merges into Juarez. Well, that might be the problem for Donald Trump. Mayor Margo went on to urge lawmakers in Washington at the time to reach agreement on U.S. immigration law reforms. Uh, he opined that undocumented workers who are working and paying taxes and do not have criminal records should be offered green cards and that those who have served in the U.S. military or arrived here as children should be granted citizenship. Not wildly controversial uh, thoughts about immigration, at least in normal times, but in the Trump era, you know, crossing Trump, well, that does not go over well. So there is uh, some tension, I should say, between the mayor of, of El Paso, even with his Republican background, and Donald Trump. But to his credit, then, I think... Mayor Margo says that the White House has notified him about a visit by the president on Wednesday and that he will welcome Trump on this visit. President Trump called me yesterday. He was very gracious in the call. You all know of my history with the president as I've defended El Paso. He was very gracious, offered to help in any way he could. And it was a brief call and nothing, nothing uh, overly specific. 
I made no request at that time. I said, we're waiting to see what settles. Um, he's coming out here on Wednesday. And I want to clarify for, for the political spin that this is the office of the mayor of El Paso in an official capacity welcoming the office of the president of the United States, which I consider is my formal duty. I will ask President Trump to support our efforts with any and all federal resources that are available. Our recovery is no small task. Together we will rise out of this tragedy, and I'm here to ensure that we receive every state and federal resource that is available to us that we need. I will continue to challenge any harmful and inaccurate statements made about El Paso. We will not allow anyone to portray El Paso in a manner that is not consistent with our history and values. Throughout our community, Bienvenidos is displayed for all our guests and visitors. It is a message that has defined our community for over 350 years. I will not allow this evil, senseless act of violence to change what our community represents. Good for him. Yeah, you think? Yeah, well said, I think, as you said. As an official representative, he's going to accept the president's Mm -hmm. visit as an official visit and not let him get away with anything. You know, you can sort of feel the pain in his his voice in responding, in in speaking to that. And, of course, this is just after this horrible tragedy uh, a couple of days earlier. But uh, it seems like there's certain pain about just this idea that he has to welcome the office of the president of the United States, which happens uh, from to be, the office of the mayor of El Paso. Yeah, and the president, the office of the president of the United States happens to be filled with somebody that he clearly personally disagrees with yes. a great deal. But hey, good for El Paso. Well, uh, They've got a competent administrator in place. Uh, you know, what a difficult, horrible place to put a yeah. mayor in at, at this point, at this point in time. You know, to have to basically force him to do that. He didn't ask. It doesn't sound like he did not ask El Paso. Hey, do you mind if I come? Do you need any help? Would it be useful to you at this time? Sounds like he notified them that the president was coming. So uh, and of course, the mayor has to rely on uh, federal resources and so forth. So it puts them in a difficult. I mean, I'm reminded of of the uh, governor of, uh, of of Puerto Rico, the now former governor of Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, you know, when obviously Donald Trump was saying obnoxious things and doing obnoxious things, but he had to sort of tolerate him because it means millions or billions of dollars in federal aid. You have to kiss up to this guy, whether you like it or not, whether you like him or not, whether the citizens, your constituents like him or not. Exactly. And uh, and I horrible, should point out... Horrible place to, to be. Well, and also extra horrible for El Paso Mayor DeMargo because... Reportedly, the Trump administration has not paid for the security bill right. that El Paso, the city, was That's forced right. to shoulder when Trump did yep. his rally there a couple of yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, I think they still owe El Paso about 400000 or it something like more. that. Yeah. That's the kind of place I, I am not sure, uh, frankly, if I would be able to show the same courtesy even to the president of the United States. In this case, with this president, with his lies about my hometown his encouragement of racist violence and the fact that in his 10-minute remark from the White House on Monday, he failed 
not only to mention anything about the Latino community, but he also failed to take any personal responsibility for this deadly tragedy in El Paso. Uh, you know, and just again, the fact that this is even a question at all concerning a president of the United States is just astonishing whether a president of the United States is welcome in an American city. But, yeah, I think I join you in giving uh, credit to uh, Mayor Margot there for trying to rise above this, I think. Uh, at the same time, I hope there are nothing but huge crowds of protests wherever Donald Trump goes in the city on Wednesday. And meanwhile, in Dayton, Ohio, the scene of the weekend's other horrifying mass shooting by a young white American male. That one just hours after El Paso, the mayor of that city, Dem Democrat Nan Whaley, was asked on Monday whether she had heard from the White House about a reported visit by Trump on Wednesday after El Paso, I believe, had said they already had. Now, Whaley is no fan of the president either. And as of Monday, she said she hadn't heard from the White House at the time, offering this snarky comment in response. He didn't tell me. He said sometime this week. I mean, I've heard that he's coming Wednesday, but I've not gotten a call. And, you know, he might be going to Toledo. I don't know. <laughs> so, that, of course. You go, girl. <laughs> That, of course, is a reference uh, after uh, to Trump's comments during his White House teleprompter speech on Monday when he said, may God bless the memories of those people who perished in Toledo, which, of course, is a different Ohio city than Dayton entirely. But, hey, it's only about 150 miles away. He was close. He was he was in the right state. Hey, he was just There's reading that. from that teleprompter thing that he used to attack Obama for using. And I don't even know that that part was on the teleprompter. I think he, I, I think he was it. winging it. Yeah, he was winging it. So in any event, by Tuesday, the White House did confirm that Trump would also be visiting Dayton as well as uh, El Paso. And on uh, Tuesday afternoon, the Dayton mayor had a different take on Trump's visit than Mayor Margot down in El Paso. She encouraged people who are unhappy over Trump coming to the coming to visit the city of about 140,000 people to protest. She encouraged protests on Wednesday. We'll see if those uh, if those materialize. Speaking to reporters in Dayton, Whaley said she is not sure if Trump that uh, Trump's visit will be helpful. She said, I can only hope that as president of the United States, he's coming here because he wants to add value to our community. And he recognizes that that's what our community needs right now. Asked whether Trump was coming too soon after the shootings, Whaley said he's the president of the United States. He does his calendar. I do mine. She also criticized Trump's Oval Office remarks on Monday about the two mass shootings, saying that, quote, his comments weren't very helpful to the issues around guns. She said, I'm dis disappointed with his remarks. I think they fell really short. He mentioned gun issues like one time. I don't know if he knows what he believes, frankly, she added. Asked during an earlier CNN interview Tuesday morning whether he wants uh, Trump to visit his home state, Congressman Tim Ryan of Ohio noted that he represents a different area than Dayton, but said uh, that Trump, quote, would not be welcome in my hometown. Ryan, of course, is a Democratic 2020 presidential hopeful whose congressional district includes a large swath of northeastern Ohio. He called Trump a polarizing figure. Oh, you don't say. 
He said he finds a million ways to divide us. Oh, you don't say. Of course, those two mass shootings on Saturday were just the latest after several earlier in the week last week, including the one at the Garlic Festival in Gilroy, California, also by a young white male American citizen with a high-powered military-style assault rifle, and that one, too, is being tied to racist hatred today. The 19-year-old gunman who used an assault-style rifle to shoot people at the Gilroy Festival last week had, quote, a target list made up of religious institutions and political groups of both parties, as well as federal buildings and courthouses, according to authorities. Given the threats to nationwide organizations, the FBI announced it is now opening a domestic terrorist investigation into the shooting. That, according to FBI Special Agent uh, John Bennett, who is in charge of the San Francisco office, the FBI has not made a conclusion as to the shooter's motivation, and the shooter left no manifesto, according to Bennett. The gunman was exploring, however, violent competing ideologies, and, quote, there was nothing that was all one-sided or the other, he said. However, an Instagram account bearing the shooter's name which was created days before the shooting, included two messages shortly before the attacks. One, one post was a photo of people walking around at the Garlic Festival, which was near the shooter's home, and another post made a reference to a white supremacist text. Three people in that shooting, a 6-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 25-year-old were killed, and another 16 people were wounded. The gunman was shot multiple times by three responding police officers, and then he killed himself. The gunman was wearing body armor when he fired 39 total rounds into the crowd. The Gilroy police chief uh, said he said that he also had a 75 round drum magazine that fit into his weapon and there were 71 rounds left in the drum when he died. In addition, he had two 40 round magazines on his body, two 40 round magazines on the ground and one 40 round magazine that was on or near him, according to Smithy. A Remington shotgun was also found in his vehicle. Law enforcement sources previously told CNN of finding extremist material in the shooter's Nevada apartment, which is also apparently where he was able to get his guns and his large capacity magazine, since Nevada's gun laws are much looser than California's. So whether those law enforcement uh, sources were correct about the extremist material, I guess we will uh, soon find out. For now, the FBI is saying it's a uh, both sides situation. We'll see if that turns out to be true. But why has it taken so long for the feds to determine whether to open a, a domestic terrorism probe there at all? Well, for one, there aren't many domestic terror statutes for them to work with. Domestic terrorist uh, terror statutes. That despite all of the laws that supposedly prevent international terrorism in the U.S., According to uh, Special Agent Bennett, federal authorities could not open a domestic terrorism investigation until they found the existence of a potential federal violation, unlawful use of force or violence, and, quote, most importantly, the existence of ideological motivation. He explained we have to determine that the individual's ideology caused them to commit the act of violence. 
the FBI Agents Association, or FBIAA, earlier on Tuesday called on Congress to make domestic terrorism, domestic terrorism, a federal crime that would no longer require the establishment of ideology. In a statement, they said domestic terrorism is a threat to the American people and our democracy, acts of violence intended to intimidate civilian populations or to influence or affect government policy should be prosecuted as domestic terrorism, regardless of the ideology behind them. Making that change, the FBIAA says, would ensure that FBI agents and prosecutors have the best tools to fight domestic terrorism. I knew that we had an issue with being with authorities being able to investigate domestic terrorism. I didn't realize it was that bad that they have to establish a violent, specifically violent ideology first. Yeah, it's that means if you don't have a social media presence, then they may not be able to do anything. There, about you. there have yeah, there have been a, you know quite a few stories that we've reported over the years, and you wonder well why is this is obviously terrorism? And frankly, I'm not even sure why there's a distinction between international terrorism and domestic terrorism. It is terrorism and terrorists should be charged as terrorists. But we talked about it and I can't remember with who. We had a guest on the show. We talked about it and, and the fact that just the laws are not there. So that's sometimes why they try to find a hate crime law or something like that that the feds can step in on. In any event, I don't know how amenable Republicans will be to changing terrorism laws to make it uh, to make them easier to apply at least domestic terrorism anyway. Islamic terrorism, no problem. Oh, they'll, you know, make that as whatever they need to do. But but our people, our white people, our white Christian people, well, that's another story. But we will see. On changing gun laws, however, well, I think we pretty much know how that will play out. But that brings us back to Ohio. Let's take a quick break and we will come back with uh, what the Republican governor of Ohio has to say today about changing gun laws in the Buckeye State. That and uh, Sean Hannity's idea for how to keep the country safe and much more is next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. 
Uh, facing pressure to take action after the latest mass shooting in the U.S., Ohio's Republican governor urged the GOP-led state legislature on Tuesday, according to AP, to pass laws requiring background checks for nearly all gun sales and allowing courts to restrict firearm access for people uh, perceived as threats, a so-called red flag law that would allow weapons to be taken away from dangerous individuals after a court determined that they are mentally unstable in some fashion and and could hurt themselves or others with the guns. Governor Mike DeWine said Ohio needs to do more while balancing people's rights to own firearms and have due process on the heels of Sunday's killing of nine people in Dayton. DeWine outlined a series of actions he wants the legislature to take up to address mental health and gun violence. DeWine said, we can come together to do these things to save lives. Protesters once again today shouted, do something at DeWine at the start of his remarks on Tuesday. One person yelled, shame on you at DeWine while he was answering questions. The do something refrain was also chanted during Sunday's vigil in Dayton that was honoring the victims when the Republican governor spoke, uh, drowning out his remarks at times with those chants. So, yeah, he is feeling the pressure. Of course, as I noted yesterday, background checks for all gun purchases and, frankly, even red flag laws, as necessary as they are, are just about the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to gun safety issues and reform. I mean, literally, it is literally the least lawmakers could do at this point. But even that may not be easy in uh, in either Congress, where Democrats have already passed such legislation in the U.S. House, as Mitch McConnell in the Senate has let the bills languish there, uh, or in Ohio. In uh, in the Ohio shooting, authorities say, uh, despite the, the shooter's history in high school 10 years ago of creating a hit list at one point and a rape list at another, despite that, and being suspended uh, at the time from school, uh, there was nothing in his adult criminal background that would have stopped him from buying his weapon or his hundred round drum, hundred round drum magazine that was used in the killings, uh, even if there was expanded background checks. Hannah shows a former high uh, high school classmate of the shooter remembered seeing him uh, look at people and in, imitate shooting at them. He said she said it's baffling and horrible that somebody who's been talking for 10 years about wanting to shoot people could easily so easily get access to a military grade weapon and that much ammo. She said he was someone who enjoyed making people afraid. Governor DeWine's calls for action in Ohio could be an uphill battle, however, for the GOP-dominated state legislature there, uh, which has given little consideration this session to those and other gun safety measures that have already been introduced by Democrats and ignored by Republicans. DeWine's Republican predecessor, John Kasich, uh, also unsuccessfully pushed for a so-called red flag law on restricting firearms for people considered to be threats. DeWine said he has talked with uh, legislative leaders and believes his proposals can now pass. We will see. Donald Trump said on Monday that he wanted Washington to, quote, come together on legislation providing, quote, strong background checks 
for gun users, but he gave no details, and he has also called for the same after previous mass shootings, only to back off of those calls later. Dayton police have said the 24-year-old shooter was wearing a mask, a body armor, when he opened fire with an AR-15-style gun. If all the magazines he had with him were full, which has not been confirmed, he would have had a maximum of 250 rounds. According to the police chief, all purchased legally in Ohio to have that level of weaponry in a civilian environment is problematic, said police chief Richard Bile. Uh, none of the measures being called for by DeWine or by Trump or any Republicans, to my knowledge, actually change that equation at all in any way. So don't worry, you'll still be able to get your 250 rounds that you need for hunting ducks the uh, 24-year-old shooter in Dayton was able to kill nine people, and of the more than 30 others who were injured, at least 14 of them had gunshot wounds. Uh, other people were hurt as they fled, according to city officials. Eleven remained in the hospital as of Monday, and that all happened within 30 seconds. 39 people minimum yep. in 30 seconds. Yep. But don't worry if Republicans don't allow real gun safety measures to be adopted. Uh, presidential advisor Sean Hannity of Fox News, uh, he had a great idea on Monday for how to keep Americans safe. He's got this all figured out. You don't need to worry. You don't need any of these laws. You don't need to violate the Second Amendment. Don't worry about that 30 people and, in 30 seconds. Yeah, don't or worry. Any. He's, got, he's got a plan uh, how to keep Americans safe, at least at schools and malls. Well, I'll let Sean tell you. Let's stop school shootings. We'll start there. Let's stop mall shootings. We'll start there. I'd like to see the perimeter of every school in America surrounded, secured by retired police, which you are, retired Secret Service, which you are, military. And I want guys to donate 15 hours. I think we could cover every school, every hour, every day at a metal detector. And I think we're going to have safer schools, have one armed guard on every floor of every school, all over every mall, the perimeter and inside every hall of every mall. Now, that gives us an instant response opportunity that we normally wouldn't have. So, so you're going to have cops around the periphery of every school in America and then, uh, of course, when he said one-armed guards, I'm thinking, well, where are they going to find guards with only one arm? But uh, all right, so then one-armed guards, uh, guard on each floor of every school, and then of course you do the same, I guess, with the uh, with all the malls in America. You know, and I got a great yeah. idea. Yeah. You know, just hire the private prison companies to uh, to put the security around all these schools and malls because that's what that is. It's a private prison, uh, is what yeah. he's talking about. Yeah, but he's asking them to volunteer. Remember, they're going to donate oh, their time. They're retired. They're retired cops who have to do this for free. Uh, David Frum, former speechwriter for George W. Bush. Uh, tweeted in response to this uh, mini thread here. He said there are 132,853 K-12 schools in the U.S. Uh, 133,000, essentially. Um, defining a mall, he said, is actually quite tricky. But as far as Walmarts and Sam Clubs, there are 11,300 of them. Hannity is proposing a bigger-than-Iraq Policy, uh, policing and counterinsurgency effort in the United States, says David Frum. Former Republican, by the way, speechwriter for George W. Bush and the man who coined the phrase axis of evil. 
Frum says, I know I'm taking this suggestion more seriously than Hannity ever intended, but there are 700,000 currently serving police officers in the U.S. He said he can't find a number for retirees, especially since we'll need to define some kind of age cutoff for them. Uh, 70-year-old, 65 He said, we're saving some money in that Hannity proposed that these hundreds of thousands of police retirees all work for free, which is very nice of them, he says. But there will still be insurance costs, right? Uniforms, health care for sure. We may need to workshop this concept a little bit more, he says. Anyway, he says the important thing is that the flow of creative thinking on Fox News not be impeded by petty considerations like doing five minutes of research or thinking before talking on camera. Well said. Uh, so we mentioned yesterday that on uh, on Sunday, Jake Tapper on CNN had invited both Republican senators from Texas, as well as the Republican governor and lieutenant governor, and I think the AG to appear on his show. They declined, as did Ohio's uh, Republican senator and governor. So later yesterday, CNN reported that they had asked 50 Republican members of Congress to come on the air to speak after the shootings in Ohio and Texas, and 49 of them turned them down. Finally, they got to one. They finally got an agreement from uh, Florida House member Ted Yoho, for what it's worth. I guess he deserves credit for being willing to show up. But, yeah, we used to do something similar. We would try to get a spokesperson from the NRA or one of the affiliate groups uh, to come and speak after a mass shooting on the show. And they always turned us down. Always. So we sort of just kind of stopped bothering to ask. So I got to tell you, this clip was really good to see. Uh, Not the Hannity clip, this one I'm about to play, Uh, because I, too, am calling not just for Donald Trump and as many Republicans as possible to be removed from office next year, Uh, but not because I'm a partisan, but because I believe that the Republican Party has become a dangerous, shameful, corrupt threat to virtually every aspect of American life. And that includes, by the way, life on Earth itself, as we'll discuss in our Green News report momentarily. Yep. But uh, here's a longtime Republican, now a former Republican and uh, former congressman, David Jolly of Florida, on Monday tearing into his old party in a segment on um, MSNBC's Deadline White House with Nicole Wallace, uh, who also used to be, I don't know if she still is or not, used to be a Republican who worked for the Bush White House, George W. Bush, uh, calling out the GOP's resistance to addressing gun violence in the U.S. in the wake of these recent mass shootings and calling for every single one of them to be removed from office. Every single one. You know, we focus on Donald Trump, his contribution to the national narrative, but Nicole, I I think that gives a pass to the broader Republican Party. And we have to talk about that as well in this moment because it is their silence that has normalized this escalation of this narrative across the country that Trump continues to reinforce. It's their inaction on gun control, reasonable gun control measures. Mm -hmm. I include myself in that. Look, I tried to move the needle within the party and I failed. And it's important in this moment to acknowledge it. Uh, I I find myself today offering the same insight I did the night of the Parkland shooting a few hours from our home in Florida, which is this. Republicans will never do anything on gun control. Nothing. Ever. They won't. Think about Las Vegas. 
They did nothing when 500 people were injured. The Pulse nightclub, 50 killed. The question for the nation was, do we allow terrorists, suspected terrorists, to buy firearms? Republicans did nothing. Parkland, they did nothing. Emanuel AME in South Carolina, nothing. Go to Sandy Hook in Connecticut, nothing. The Jewish Temple in Pittsburgh, nothing. The Jewish Temple in San Diego, nothing. Sutherland Springs Evangelical Church in Texas, nothing. Now we have Texas. Now we have Ohio in the same weekend, and all we get is silence. And so I say that because if this is the issue that informs your ideology as a voter, the strength to draw in this moment is to commit to beating Republicans. Beat them. Beat every single one of them. Even the safe ones in the House. Beat them. You take Beat them in the Senate. You take my take breath away Senate. with your bluntness, but 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 you you're not wrong. No Republican has ever been moved by any of those tragedies. Do do you do you? They they have not. They have not. Look, I, I notionally, I, I gathered with the Democrats when they had the House sit in after Pultz begging to form some type of bipartisanship in a moment of national crisis. Our leaders were not to be found. They went home. They hid. And, and the reason I say to voters, and this is obviously getting easier for me to say these days, beat Republicans is because of this issue. Republicans won't do anything. And in the Senate, take back the Senate. And if you're a Democratic presidential candidate right now who has the opportunity to win a pivotal Senate race, drop out of the presidential race and win back the Senate for a party that will actually do something on this. Yeah, good I- there's a good idea. Yes. Talking to you, Beto O'Rourke in Texas and uh, uh, what's his name up in Montana? Steve Bullock in Montana. Hickenlooper and, uh, in Colorado. Uh, 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 there you go, yeah. Uh, that was a former Republican Congressman David Jolly with, uh, I, and I don't know if she's former or not, but one-time Republican Nicole Wallace, George W. Bush's White House communications director, agreeing with him that we should defeat every single one of the Republicans in the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate next year. And I could not agree more. Quick break, and we are back with Desi Doyne and the Green News Report on how some of the Democrats uh, running for president hope to beat Donald Trump next year when it comes to the environment. That's straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today.
You know, I, I had hoped to get to it today, Desi Doyen, but a fourth Texas Republican a U.S. House member has now announced that he will not seek another term in 2020. Raps things from a sinking ship. Yeah, things are not looking good for Republicans in the U.S. House and particularly Republicans in Texas, which uh, could flip blue. And I couldn't be happier uh, about it. Soon, uh, yeah, your old home state. Yep. Uh, it was it was blue when you were born, wasn't it? Yes, it was. All right. That's how old you are. <laughs> and now let's get to it. Our latest green news report. What we're seeing in the Arctic now is a kind of look into the future for the rest of the globe. And it's not looking good. Historic ice melt in Greenland raises worldwide sea levels. We need action now. We've all just lived through the hottest month ever recorded on planet Earth. Plus, many of your fellow Democratic candidates say climate change is the biggest existential threat facing the country. Democratic presidential debates for the first time cover climate change and climate action in depth. All of that and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis and snarky comment. When the topic of climate change came up, Andrew Yang had a blunt assessment. The last four years have been the four warmest years in recorded history. We are too late. We are 10 years too late. Adding, abandon all hope, Yang 2020, though of course we won't live that long. (laughs) I'm in. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, what do you have for us today? Well, first up, historic ice melt in the last week from the Greenland ice sheet amid an unrelenting heat wave. Researchers say Greenland has lost so much ice from its surface in July alone that it has raised global sea levels by a measurable amount, enough to cover the state of Florida in several inches of water. That record heat wave has also triggered rare Arctic wildfires that scientists warn are releasing so much carbon that they could create a feedback loop that in itself intensifies man-made global warming even further. So the fires are caused by warming and the fires cause more warming and the cycle continues. Exactly. Not good. And now July 2019 is officially the hottest month ever recorded globally in human history since record keeping began in the 1880s, breaking the previous record set just in 2016. 2019 is now on track to be among the top two or three hottest years ever recorded. It's good to keep those things in mind for context as we turn to the second round of 2020 Democratic presidential primary debates held over two nights in Detroit, Michigan last week. Climate change got more than 20 minutes of discussion over those two nights. What? And while CNN's moderators did call it a climate crisis, they framed their questions to gin up conflicts between the candidates. But viewers heard a little bit about solutions and policy differences between the candidates' proposals. The progressive candidates defended the Green New Deal framework resolution introduced in the U.S. House to solve climate change against charges from moderate candidates that it's unrealistic. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren highlighted her green industrial policy plan to revitalize U.S. manufacturing, and both Warren and New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand focused on investing in innovation to challenge China as the global leader in clean energy technology. Here's Gillibrand. Why not have a green energy race with China? Why not have clean air and clean water for all Americans? Why not rebuild our infrastructure? 
Why not actually invest in the green jobs? That's what the Green New Deal is about. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders called for a just transition, a central component of the Green New Deal that ensures fossil fuel workers are not left behind in the shift to a green energy economy. Former Maryland Congressman John Delaney called for a carbon fee and dividend to fund carbon removal techniques. Former Vice President Joe Biden pledged to build a national electric vehicle charging network. Former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke, current Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan, and South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg talked about paying farmers to utilize regenerative agriculture techniques that would cut emissions from the agriculture sector and restore soil health. Several of the Democratic candidates have proposals for addressing climate and environmental justice and the pollution and inequality that disproportionately harm minority communities. Here's spiritual advisor Marianne Williamson. We have communities, particularly communities of color and disadvantaged communities all over this country who are suffering from environmental injustice. I assure you, I lived in Gross Point. What happened in Flint would not have happened in Gross Point. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker noted that no candidate should get praise for rejoining the United Nations Paris Climate Accords, the lowest bar of action possible. Climate change is not a separate issue. It must be the issue and the lens with which we view every issue. Nobody should get applause for rejoining the Paris Climate Accords. That is kindergarten. That is kindergarten. He was, of course, speaking to Joe Biden when he said that. Yes, he was. Washington Governor Jay Inslee, the candidate with the most sweeping comprehensive plans, criticized the moderate candidates for their middling proposals and laid out the stakes in stark terms. The people in this room and the Democrats watching tonight are the last best hope for humanity on this planet. So while the corporate media still does not grasp the gravity of the challenge we face with man-made climate change, it is notable that this is the first time in U.S. history that Americans are seeing political leaders discuss and debate actual policy ideas in a presidential debate. For much more on all of these reports and the stories we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. What a way to save our souls these endless summer nights. Oh, yeah. Climate change is not quite the endless summer I think this guy is That I was hoping about. for. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much, Desi. Uh, and by the way, great job making sense of those... Uh, what, five hours of Democratic debates on, uh, is culling it down on the environmental portions to, like, well, less than six minutes, yep. plus Greenland and the hottest month uh, that has ever happened on planet <laughs> Earth, all in six minutes. It's a lot. <laughs> Sadly, that means you couldn't get to all of the uh, blowing up explosions at uh, refineries and uh, gas uh, pipelines over the past week. Not to worry, we're going to hit that in the next episode of the Green News Report. Promises, promises. We <laughs> shall see. All right, that is it. It. We got to get out. Thank you very much, uh, our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Uh, we appreciate it, and we hope you enjoyed it. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. And as always, I want to thank those of you who support us by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. You are the ones who make our downloads free for all. If you haven't signed up for a sustaining subscription uh, recently or anytime at bradblog.com slash donate, uh, please do. Please join the cool kids. 
we could use your support. You can also drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. Hope you will find, follow, comment, and share there. And that's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.